Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber Way. Hey, 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 welcome. I hope you all had a great week and maybe you are one of the lucky ones who has today off. Today is a day that we celebrate the life and achievements of Martin Luther King Jr. He was an influential American civil rights leader. He was known for his campaigns to end racial segregation on public transportation and for racial equality overall in the United States. And in our house, we could not be more grateful for his work. We know we have some ways to go still, but here at the Way Chalet, we thank you for your work and sacrifice, Dr. King. Do you want to share your story, or do you know someone else who does? If so, there are plenty of ways to reach me. You can find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast or on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can also email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com or listen anywhere you already listen to podcasts or by going to www.artofadoptionpod.com. If you want to leave a comment or have a question about anything, you can leave a message by calling 720-722-2839 and you may hear your question on the show. Today you'll be hearing a story about a woman who lived in a home where her parents ended up fostering dozens of kids throughout the years. And then she herself ended up fostering and then adopting as well. Meet Kristen. I live in Michigan in a very small town outside of Grand Rapids. So we have a very country feel like yesterday there were horses walking down our street. We have a six-year-old who is biologically ours and we have a three-year-old who is adopted And then we have two and a one-year-old siblings that are in foster care. There's four little ones, and I have three at home all day. I got my master's degree in counseling in May of this year, and due to getting a call and taking a placement of two and a one-year-old little girls, now would not be a good time for me to look for a job, so I'm a stay-at-home mom. Having children at home is a full-time job, but it becomes even more time-consuming when you add in the foster care entourage. Listen to episode three of this podcast for more information about what that is. It's the same old story being told inside my head. I'm too shy to Since Kristen lived with her folks when they were fostering, she knew that she could get a call like that out of the blue. But knowing doesn't necessarily make it an easy transition been wonderful but we went from a household of four people to a household of six overnight and it's been definitely a transition. I asked her if these girls were her first foster placements. Our son that we adopted came to us from foster care and we adopted him out of foster care but when we got licensed it was with the intent of adopting him so we weren't taking any placements so technically no but yes really they are. So what inspired her to get into the fostering world? It's all my mom's fault. (laughs) 
when I was 16, my parents decided that they wanted to do foster care. They got everything you could possibly imagine for a baby. And then we found my sister, who we were both 16 at the time, and she needed a forever home. And she was my friend. And I said, Mommy, can't we adopt her? So we started the process and we adopted her. And we were inseparable, basically twins for the next three years. That was our first introduction to it. So then we moved a couple times, and then my parents decided that they wanted to do foster care again. And they took in, so far, I think the total is around 27 kids um, over the several years in different states. And I currently have four more adopted sisters through my parents. And actually, the our son that we adopted, the reason that we did that was because my parents have his sisters. They had all of them together. And when it went to termination, my parents said, we are too old to adopt a two-year-old. I don't want to be 85 when he graduates high school. We're not going to adopt him. And I looked at my husband and I said, I love him. He's part of my family and I can't lose him. And so we started the process of becoming licensed that day. Her mom may be the inspiration, but I see Kristen's heart here too. All too often, children in the child welfare system are not only removed from their parents and their home, albeit it's usually for good reasons, They are also separated from their siblings, and many are separated upon entry into foster care, and it's not that often that they will actually be placed together. And even if they are initially placed together, they are often later separated. And if and when they are adopted, it's usually into different families. Kristen really saw the need to keep these siblings together, and besides that, she had already fallen in love with him. It was a no-brainer, so she hit the ground running to get him into her forever home. It was an expedited process because we were doing it to adopt him. His rights were already terminated. And so our first home visit, she came and I handed her back all of the paperwork, that whole pile. I just handed it back to her and I said, this is done, now what? So we were licensed in three months, which is completely unheard of. And we started doing like visits where he would just basically be here all week and then he would go home and spend the night at my parents' house and we slowly transitioned it from him calling my parents mom and dad to calling them nana and papa like my son does and calling us mom and dad and it was just a very gradual slow transition and then when we were licensed he was basically moved in and he was calling us mom and dad. I'm sure this transition period can cause some initial confusion and anxiety for the little ones. There was a little in the beginning, but it has worn off. We are mom and dad, and that's the end of it. Um, And they are Nana and Papa. We do live three and a half miles away from my mom and the girls. And so he sees his siblings because they adopted the two older siblings that he has. (laughs) So this is where fostering and adoption gets fun in a unique way. Specifically in kinship adoption. Kinship adoption is also known as relative adoption, and that is when you adopt a family member. This also applies to any siblings of children whom you have already adopted. For instance, if my son's bio family had another child and CPS removed that child, we would be considered kin at that point due to the adoption of that child's sibling. 
So all of that to say, you can end up with all sorts of interesting family relation combinations. My daughter is also my cousin, so she is my daughter cousin. There are a lot of grandma mommies and grandpa daddies out there. My mom actually had brother cousins, and in Kristen's case, he now has sister aunts, which is one of those things that when we grows up, we're just going to have to explain. We typically call it the girls, so we're going to go visit Nana and the girls, and because there's three that aren't related to him and then two that are related to him, and so... We just collectively call them the girls, but he does call them his siblings, and they are 11 and 13. I mean, they're old enough to understand what went on, and they love him, and they know that I'm his mom, and so when we're all together, they look to me to parent him. It's a fun, large family. When we go out anywhere, we've got 10 kids together, and we just get really weird looks. It gets really weird when we we match them sometimes because it's really hard to um, keep track of all of them. And so oftentimes we match them. And so then we get really weird. (laughs) See, not all families out there in matching shirts are in cults. It may just be two foster mommies taking all of their kids for a treat. Hey, I struggle getting my three out of the house. So I bow down to Kristen and her mom for even braving the public. For a while, we were actually having three of the four of ours in high chairs. And so when we would go to a restaurant, we'd be like, we need three high chairs. They would look at me like I was an octopus. And I'm like, I have a lot of little kids. Stop looking at me like that. I went back and asked about the two sisters she is currently fostering. How is that going and what is the status there? We've had them since July. It is really up in the air. The parents are doing sort of well, but the problem is the addiction that they have is pretty severe, so it's unclear as to where it's going to go. I recorded this interview in October. Since then, the birth parents have gone downhill. Kristen says she may be getting two more forever children. The court date is coming up, and she'll know a bit more soon. As with all of these cases, everything is still up in the air. The unknown is very difficult, especially with your very first official placement. Kristen is lucky to have her mother's support, not just as a mom, but as someone who has been there and done that with fostering. I have a lot of support. I mean, my mom's been doing this for 20-some years now, so when I get stressed out or the inevitable policy issues come up and you just don't understand. I cried to her on the phone before. It was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate this. This is stupid. And she's like, but that's not what you're doing it for. You're not doing it for the bureaucracy. You're not doing it for all of that. And so that helps a lot to calm me down. Just someone who's been there and done this for so long has been wonderful. And I also have several online support groups I'm a part of specifically for foster and adoption, but I'm also a part of a couple because the son we adopted has fetal alcohol syndrome. Fetal alcohol syndrome is a condition in a child that results from alcohol exposure during the mother's pregnancy. It causes brain damage and growth problems, and the problems caused by fetal alcohol syndrome vary from child to child, but defects caused by it are not reversible. In fact, alcohol is the leading cause of preventable birth defects and developmental disabilities in the United States. Taking in a child with any kind of challenge is extremely difficult. I remember staying up late nights holding and rocking a screaming baby girl knowing that one, 
There was nothing I could do to take it away except hold her close while her teeny body withdrew from the assortment of substances she had been exposed to. And two, I was very angry at her birth parents. Angry that they did this and angry that they didn't have to deal with the aftermath of it. Having people to vent to about all of this is great, but having people to vent to about it who know exactly what you are going through is priceless. Having the online support group has been invaluable. I can go on there and it's a safe place for me to just vent and yell and scream and hate the parents for doing what they've done to this child that I'm dealing with and things like that. And it's a safe place for me to do that and get all those feelings out where, you know, the common friend that I have would not get that at all. Whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. It's all about self-care. Making sure that when you are giving 100% of yourself to a child, any child, that you are giving yourself permission to recharge and put yourself first. Something else that I take very seriously is my self-care. I had to learn the hard way. I was actually a foster care worker for the state for a year and a half when I was pregnant with my son and then a couple months after his birth. And I had to learn about self-care the really hard way. I got some pretty significant PTSD from the job and also some transferred PTSD and postpartum depression, which was just a hurricane of horrible. But I had to learn about self-care and I had to learn about putting myself first. Okay, guys, side note and full disclosure. I met Kristen on a Facebook group called Adopterinos and Fosterinos. It is for foster and adoptive parents who also like the true crime podcast, My Favorite Murder. We call ourselves murderinos, which is a term taken from Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. And since the podcast came out, there have been hundreds, maybe even thousands, of subgroups that have been formed. Hence, adopterinos and fosterinos. So I wasn't too surprised with Kristen when she told me how she chooses to recharge. But you may be. I love taking baths, and too, I love the, the true crime podcast. I, I actually combine those two, so I'll sit in my bathtub and listen to the true crime podcast, and I use that as self-care. My husband thinks I'm insane, <laughs> but I can put, you know, a podcast on and listen to murder and find my happy place. I wanted her to tell me more about her PTSD and postpartum depression. In adoption, we don't usually have the opportunity to discuss postpartum depression, but I believe it's something that should be discussed openly on all platforms anytime possible. Just to bring awareness to it and to show others suffering that they are not alone. I was a worker for the state, so I actually found out I was pregnant And I found out I got the job in the same week. That was really poor timing on somebody's part. So I started the job pregnant. Everyone knew at the office that I was pregnant and went to training. And I got my caseload and I did the job and I was really good at it. When we went through training, nobody had talked about what secondary trauma was or what burnout was or what PTSD was and how you got it. And about four or five months into the job, I started having some symptoms and I kept it to myself and I did my job and I was good at it. And I continued. When my son was born, I took maternity leave and I came back from maternity leave and I had 14 kids on my caseload that were under five years old. I just want to jump in here to define what secondary trauma is. 
Secondary traumatic stress is the emotional duress that results when an individual hears about the firsthand trauma experiences of another. Now back to Kristen's story. I would go to work and see the depravity of people and how they could treat their babies. And I came home to my newborn son and I just became very, very depressed in a very dark place and kept it to myself because I'm Wonder Woman. I was going to do it all. (laughs) And I was back to work about three months when the you-know-what hit the fan. And I was driving to work, and I started fantasizing crashing my car into a tree. And I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to go to work, and I wanted to be hurt enough to not go to work. And I started picking out trees like, that would be a good one. I could just make this corner not enough. And crashed right into that tree and I confided to my husband and he goes well what do you want to do and I said I need to either quit or you're gonna have to admit me to the hospital because I'm gonna do it one day so I put my two-week notice in that day (laughs) I went to the doctor and I said I need some help I'm really struggling I can't do this anymore so they put me on some meds that were safe nursing and life got a whole lot brighter and I started enjoying being a mom again Postpartum depression, or PPD, is very common. It happens in one in seven women, and it is more than just baby blues. It can severely affect the way the mother cares for her newborn and also for herself. Kristen said it. She wanted to be superwoman. She was, quote-unquote, supposed to be superwoman, according to societal pressures. Luckily, Kristen knew what was going on with her, and she was able to finally ask for and seek help. PPD is totally treatable. If left untreated, it can last for a very long time and it can become life-threatening in severe cases. If you recently, within the last year or so, have had a baby and you are feeling disconnected to your baby or yourself in any way, please seek help. If you don't know where to start, just contact your healthcare provider. Postpartum depression is a real thing and it'll kick your butt if you don't be careful. (laughs) Through all that, I learned a lot about self-care and a lot about how to protect myself. And all those things have been invaluable now that I'm a foster parent, an adoptive parent, and a parent to my biological son who has autism. (laughs) I've got a lot going on, so I need to keep myself where I need to be. Going through the approval process for fostering and or adopting is invasive at times. It can catch you totally off guard even. I asked Kristen what surprised her most about the process. I knew it was going to be invasive. I knew they asked you like every question under the sun. So that wasn't really surprising. I think the most surprising thing was when I filled out our sheet for like our budget and I put how much we had spent and then they're like, oh, and you also need your bank statement. So I gave them them. And then I got a call like a week later, like, so you put on your sheet that you spent $200 on groceries, but actually according to your bank statements, you spent 350 Um, okay, well, I had a party, I had in-laws come in town, so I needed extra food. Like, to me, that was just over the top. That's not even being invasive. I was just like, what? Why? And then we wonder why people don't want to get licensed. And even after the approval process, there can be surprises that come up. It's an extra element to the parenting process that other families more quote-unquote traditional or quote-unquote typical families don't have to consider. When you are fostering, sure you are the parents or the guardians, temporary or not, but while that child is in the child welfare system, you have that pesky entourage to answer to. 
They have the power. And if they don't like you, even if you're doing everything right and according to the law, they can still cause problems that are or at least seem completely out of your control. We actually are in the midst of a special investigation right now, too, on our license. Moral of that story is don't piss off your caseworker or she will turn you in for licensing violations. I was really upset at how the case was going. I've been to every court hearing and everything, and they wanted to do these unsupervised visits at their grandma's house. And she smokes, and both of these babies have been sick a lot. I was like, why are we sending these babies to this home that smokes? Like, we know she smokes. And I fought and fought and fought, and the worker was really pissed off that I was fighting so hard to get these visits stopped. And so she turned me in because we built a room in our basement to add another bedroom. And she said that we were building an addition onto our house without a permit, which isn't the truth anyways, and that our house was filthy. There was food and dishes everywhere. Hold up. So what? You're not... you, You mean to tell me that a mother with four kids, all under the age of six, has dishes and food lying around the house? Raise your hand right now if you have kids in your house and there is currently food on the floor or the table or unwashed dishes. First of all, how dare you? I've had two different times where workers have had to come out and like do the whole home inspection again. And they were actually here this morning at an unannounced visit. So it's been an interesting experience. But those of us who do foster care, it's not if you get investigated, it's when. There's just too many people. You piss off a parent, they're going to turn you in. You piss off your worker, they're going to turn you in. I have four little kids. So yes, there are dishes everywhere most of the time until nap time when I can get to them. It shouldn't be a problem. It's just part of the process. Part of the process, unannounced visits. Can you imagine your house needing to be in tip-top shape 24-7 with four kids, all under the age of six? I understand completely why these surprise visits need to happen, and I support it 100%. However, it gets real frustrating when you are under investigation for not putting away dirty dishes right away or for building a bedroom for the child or for not wanting them to be exposed to secondhand smoke. All while, the birth parents are well on their way to reunification because, say, they didn't smoke meth for three days in a row, even though they're still smoking weed around the clock now because it is legal after all. Plus, you know, they showed up to three out of the last five visits. We hold these parents to such a low bar to get their kids back, yet I had dishes on my table and I got in trouble. She had mentioned before that her son was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Kristen explains what it's like raising a special needs child and where her financial support comes from to help take care of his needs. Yeah, and I'm dealing with that my adopted son is going to have issues for the rest of his life. He was born addicted to marijuana, meth, methadone, and she drank and smoked the entire pregnancy. He's on Medicaid, and we also have adoption subsidy to help. It's basically being paid every month like we did when he was in foster care. There's a lot of destruction in our house. He's broken a TV, he's put holes in the walls, and he's three. Unfortunately, her son's biological parents aren't in the picture due to their addiction. 
As a huge supporter of open adoption, I still understand that sometimes it's just a matter of safety for the child. His parents are both still addicts, so they have no access to him, but he has an adult sister and life partner that are good influences, and they've known him since he was little. We do about monthly visits with them, and so they, they do have relationships. Not all of his family is cut off, but his parents are not healthy, so they do not have relationships. I love that he still has access to his biological family in some way. I think it's important to maintain contact with your roots, when and if possible. Sure, fostering a child seems daunting, but the good totally outweighs the not so good. I asked what advice she would give to anyone considering fostering. Get more training than is asked of you. Go to every training that is offered. I've gotten connections with so many amazing people just by going to free trainings. We actually got a weekend paid for at a resort to go to a training. And we brought our kids and we made a mini vacation and we went to training. There's so many opportunities like that if you just reach out and do them. And I've learned so much and been able to understand way more. So what is something you should not say to a foster or adoptive parent? Where are their real parents? And then what am I? I'm not real. I'm not fake. (laughs) I have a really hard time with that one, referring to them as real parents. My son is three. He has a heart mommy and he has a belly mommy. And that's how we describe each other. And so he knows that he didn't grow in my belly, but he grew in my heart and I chose him. I am 100% in the camp that your child needs to know their whole story by 11. And so we started young. His sisters are old enough to understand their story too. So it's not like I could shelter him to any degree, but we've talked about it in those terms. And so he knows those terms. He knows heart mommy and belly mommy. I'm the one dealing with him, breaking my television, busting my walls, getting into everything, drawing on my floor, (laughs) you know, like I'm the real parent. I typically do say their biological parents are not in the picture due to their choices. And we have adopted him. I am his parent. Do you correct them or do you grin and bear it? So typically I do correct them. My parents adopted two 100% Hispanic girls. And my parents are the whitest people you've ever met. And so when we go out in public, we get stares. And the the younger of the two is very self-conscious about it. And I just want to walk up to people and be like, what is wrong with you? So it's been one of those problems that she's had to deal with. We don't live in a very diverse town, unfortunately. I mean, we live in a teeny tiny small town, and so there's not very much diversity. So she doesn't like the stairs. Aw. Well, we know how big of a support Kristen's mom has been for her. I wondered if there were other means of support she was getting for herself or for her kids. I'd really say my mom has been my biggest support, but also being connected with our local post-adoption groups has been really awesome. We do something probably monthly with them, and they hold really cool events like going to a pumpkin farm was last month, and we got in for free. We got to do everything for free. Next month, we're going to like an indoor bounce house thing, and it's cool because all the kids there are foster or adoption kids, and we all get it when we go there. We all get it. That's so great. I'm going to check and see if there's anything like that around us. 
We go to an adoption picnic once a year, and it's true. There's just a totally different vibe when our kids are playing with other kids whom are also adopted. So I think this may be an important activity to add to our schedules, just like Kristen. And thank you so much, Kristen, for sharing your story with us. I asked her for an update on the special investigation, and she said that everything, of course, checked out, and they are not going through that anymore. At least not right now. <laughs> she is anxious for the court date coming up to see what will happen with the two little girls she is fostering. She promised to send me an update once she knows, and I will absolutely be sharing that here with you. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening today. If you want to see pictures of Kristen's kiddos, hop on over to my Facebook page. Once again, you can find me there at the Art of Adoption Podcast, or you can find me on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can also email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com. If you want to leave a comment or have a question about anything, you can leave a message by calling 720-722-2839, and you may hear your question on the show. The theme song, Forever Home, was written and produced by David Other. Find him on Facebook or at davidother.com. Artwork, production, and editing of this show is done by me, Amber Way. Tune in next week for another unique story. And please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. If you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends about it. And please rate and review me on iTunes. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Martin Luther King Jr. And I plan to do just that. Keep moving forward. See you next time. Goodbye.